This is episode one of the Freeze Peach podcast, the first podcast I've ever been in, and I am joined in my nervous stuttering with my friend and co-conspirator, Christina. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, Christina. Well, uh, uh, hello, the audience. Uh, My name is Christina. As you just heard, I like to do arts and crafts kind of stuff, I guess. And um, I have a pet whip spider. His name is Merlin and he's the love of my life. And um, I like trees. As you can see, she greatly understates herself. She's a a very talented artist who makes things that uh, come from a strange, dark place in her mind. Very vigorous images often combine <laughs> darkness and flames and other disturbing things. She's the only person that can make a horse seem like it's about to haunt your dreams. So... Well, I, I think you're giving me too much credit there, but... <laughs> don't worry, I'm going to give myself even more. I'm a writer and no one's ever heard of me, but I'm actually quite pro- prolific. I'm like the most unheard voice to have ever produced that many words that no one has ever read. So uh, I- I'm hoping to force myself further upon you uh, with this podcast. You might look on the, on the face of it and think, well, what the hell are these two people doing on a podcast that we're not going to talk about art, we're not going to talk about literature... We're going to talk about something that has brought a small group of people together. Very disparate people from all sorts of backgrounds. And it's an idea called meritocracy. And it's a radical and it's a new idea. It's an idea that will challenge power and make people feel uncomfortable. And this is why we give the podcast the name it has, the Free Speech Podcast, because one, we're devoted to innuendo, and two, the idea we're going to present is genuinely controversial and will genuinely make people feel uncomfortable. And that's an important job that we have to do. We have to make you feel uncomfortable because these ideas are worth talking about. What say you, Christina? Yes, I agree, and they are worth feeling uncomfortable about. And to hit that particular ground running, I'm going to uh, basically make myself public enemy number one in the eyes of every British patriot out there. We are going to discuss, and none too lightly, the British monarchy. Fun. Very fun. Oh, yes, the most delightful family in the world who have uh, a gene pool about the depth of a paddling pool. You can, like, tow the bottom of it. And... (laughs) They're basically like the, the top dogs in Britain. If you've never heard of them, you've never been awake. They could be the most famous family that have ever lived. But before we dig our fangs into their uh, genetically undiverse necks, we should probably uh, have a think about well, what the hell is a monarchy? Everybody sort of has like a vague idea of what it is. But if you ask someone, they'd be like, mm, something, something queen or whatever. Um, 
so I'm going to ask you, Christina, just, just what do you think a monarchy is just, just out of nowhere? What's your gut reaction? Uh, well, my gut reaction, my gut reaction is, you know, hang them. Um, yeah, but what are they? Why, why should we hang them? Who are they to be hanged? Well, uh, monarchy is an ideology, I'd say, um, that justifies a very specific family to be in absolute power. Uh, and, and I mean absolute power in the like traditional meaning of monarchy, because monarchy nowadays does not have that much power. But the, the origin of monarchy um, stems from that idea of like a divine right to rule for whatever reason people have come up with, because <laughs> people come up with all kinds of weird and <sighs> yeah. You see, that was probably the best gut response I've ever heard. It was like really rather reasonably well thought out. Most people, I think, when they think about monarchy, they have one of two things in mind and they're both fantasy. The first one is either the monarchy, like the Lord of the Rings, the kingly nobles who have in some way imbued themselves with importance and valor and, you know, sort of a... Think of Aragorn, son of Arathor, gives off mm. a real sense of, in like, not, when I say entitlement, I don't mean in the, like, oh, the obnoxious way, but genuine entitlement. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the fairy tale king and the queen, yeah, the benevolent good guy king and his good wife queen, and they are heroic and they want what's best for the people. Exactly. <laughs> Give me one such real life example. And the other version is, I suppose, the more common one, but it's the real fairy tale one where like the king and queen, they're like a part of a storybook. There is a whimsy to them and they make people feel like they live in a more whimsical, well-ordered world. Like a, the, the order of the world is more well-established. The king and queen are there because they deserve it and everyone else is there and it's they're in the right place and they all have a coherent part in the story. From yeah. what I've observed, people either have those two. It's the Aragorn type or the fairy tale type. And that's yeah, what I, I've seen, I at mean, least where I'm from. I, I, I consider them both to be absolute fairy tale types. Um, yeah, you're yeah. right. But I think one is just like a, a higher... One is more focused on the nobility and the other one is more focused on the whimsy. They're kind of themes of the same thing, really. But uh, most people don't actually think in their heads like, hmm, monarch, dictator, unelected ruler, Irish, you know, like autocracy. Most people don't think that at all. No, indeed. Um... I mean, to be fair, most people that have some kind of critique against monarchy nowadays don't think that either. What they think about is why the hell do they take my taxpayer money? Oh. <laughs> in, uh, in Britain, anyway, uh, what they now, some other people think about monarchy is, if they're not in those two traditional camps where they romanticize it, they're like, oh, the monarchy's a, what is, a tourist attraction. And they're like, sort of celebrities and their entire yeah. family exist in like this big brother like reality tv show where it's basically like we're going to keep and and watch this pack of weirdos do weird things because british people are like but there are weirdos 
Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you say that tourist attraction thing because that's like the main argument for the Swedish monarchy as well. It's like, oh, it's it's a good tourist attraction. It brings in tourists. It uh, um, gives us some kind of uh, special identity on world politics. And it's like, really? Is that really a special identity that we want to have? I always thought like, right, so if they're a tourist attraction... Surely we'd make more money if they didn't live in their houses because then people could go in and like pay to see inside them. If they're like in there, you can't yeah. be paying to see them. Yeah, I mean, because that's that's what I wanted to say as well. No actual tourists I come to Sweden to see the king and queen. I don't think they would be able to as well because I haven't never seen them. Um, and I live in Stockholm where the house allegedly is. People want to see you know, the castle from the outside because, wow, it's a castle. It looks like a big brick. It's really not very interesting, to be honest. I've never been to London. I've never seen the British royal family. Uh, I've never been anywhere near any of their palaces, obviously. I just don't live in England. And But weirdly, I have met one of the members of the royal family and I can't remember which one it was. It was one of the princes. There's there are bloody too many of them. And... I met them accidentally when I was taking a walk with my ex-girlfriend down the town where I live. And apparently they'd been on a visit to a nearby island. And we were just walking by as they got off the boat to go into their motorcade. And we just kind of got called over by these camera people. And they were like, they want to take a picture with locals. They didn't even tell me who it was. I'm assuming they assumed I knew who it was and they made too much assumptions about my connection to what's going on in the world. And <laughs> they brought us over and we were like, we, we took a picture with this guy and we were like, what the hell? But we were, we were, we were trying not to, to make out that we were totally clueless. It was only afterwards we discovered that was one of the princes. And it was like, what the Which one? <laughs> I can't even remember. I don't know what they look like. I despise the royal family and like, when they come up in the news, I will instantly not read it. I don't think they are news. They shouldn't be in the news. The fact that the BBC has royal correspondents whose only job is to report on the royals makes me want to throw up. You know, Niall, I can already uh, like see that some people will be like, but why are you against the royals if you know nothing about them? You just admitted that you never read the news about them. How can you be against them? And for those people, I say, you are stupid. You are against the concept of royalty, not them personally. That's not the point. Unfortunately for me, I had to do a little bit of looking into the specifics of the royalty for this podcast. So I, I had to go down that rabbit hole and I must admit I feel unclean as a result. Right. Yeah. So let's hit some facts for the people's. Monarchs are either constitutional or absolute. There are variations of each of them, but like these are the two general categories you either have. So they rule absolutely either by themselves or delegating the power to others. So let's take absolute monarchy first. They're autocrats. They're effectively dictators. And that's kind of, it's kind of a simple thing there where they dictate the law, they make the law and everything in the end, the buck stops with the king. The, the other type, the constitutional, the king or queen delegates their power to something like a parliament. So, for example, in Britain, the Queen of England does not really control the country. The parliament does, and the prime minister is the head of the parliament. But the parliament exists at her pleasure. 
And one must always bear in mind that uh, she still has what's called the royal prerogative. I hate this word. Prerogative. Royal prerogative. And basically, that's like, I can still interfere with the way the, the, the country works if I want to. That's kind of crazy. I don't, I, as far as I'm aware, I don't think that the Swedish royal family has any kind of political power. I think their power is just, uh, you know, symbolic, as people like to say it. I can't speak for Sweden, but uh, there's... Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just saying uh, <laughs> that's a difference there, as far as I'm aware. Uh, uh, that's kind of crazy to me to hear that the queen still has some kind of political power at all. It's become a, it's a big taboo, I suppose, for the, the queen to be like, eh, I want to rule something or if I want to interfere. It's not done. It's never done, but... I understand, but but still, the, the uh, like, uh, inherent uh, acceptance of this weird philosophy of divine rule or whatever, it's super strange. Uh, the strangeness Im- is embodied in the royal's behaviour. They're, they're a pack of whack jobs. Um... But uh, it's interesting, though, if we have Queen Elizabeth, right, it's in her personality and her decision that she does not interfere directly. That's her her approach to things. But who's to say the next royal won't disagree? Well, they could I mean, Like, yeah. whoever is up next could easily do more stuff, you know. Indeed, yes. There's just no way to bet on it. It's just because the current culture is that there's loads of stories out, you know, where, for example, one of the royals will send letters to members of parliament to be like, you know, here's what I think about so-and-so issue. I'm not telling you to, like, vote this way. I'm just saying that maybe if you want to think about what I'd want, you could vote this way, you know? (laughs) Sort of like, I'm not directly going to say, oh, don't do this law, but I'm going to heavily hint that I would provide quite like you to do this law, please. And, you know, that sort of soft corruption does happen even under this monarch. So it could be worse. So basically the theme I want uh, our eavesdropping audience to take away here is that monarchs go on a spectrum between absolute to limited power. So they either rule all by themselves or they delegate some of that power to another body of some sort, leaving themselves with a relative amount of power which can be very symbolic to halfway. There's there's a spectrum of them. And that's what I want to get across. So uh, a monarchs usually exist in a royal family. Now, what do you think when you think royal family? Do you think this is a normal family? Well, I mean, no, by definition, not. I suppose I'll refine my question. Do you think they behave like a normal family? Like a normal family? No, like normal people... I mean, they are still people. They are they are not, you know, special. But no, they don't behave like a normal family. Of course not. Funny thing was, uh, the queen had a couple of cousins who had mental health disorders and uh, she faked their death. She like had the documents label they were dead so she could hide them away. So uh, yeah, they... <laughs> Yeah, that's... <laughs> They're insane. They don't act like a normal family. Uh, yeah, oh. that's... I mean, that that's kind of complex as well because... They they don't really have the opportunity to act like a normal family either within the 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 concept and the structure that they are 
born into, it's kind of very hard for them probably to act like a normal family, even if they wanted to. Uh, and I'm not saying this as a weird excuse. I'm just saying that the, the structure in and of itself is just deeply problematic. Well, we've got some uh, comments about that in a bit that uh, I'm sure you'll find very interesting. But for now, let's have a let's take a stock of Europe and its existing royal families. To most people around the world, the British royal family are the ones they've heard about. For some reason, they are the royal of royals. They've really taken peak royalty. They're just the most royal-ish royals. And yeah, yeah, they are. But there's Indeed. actually a whole pack of them still in Europe. Oh, yeah. So, for example, I've got a few lists of them here. So uh, there's Bishop Jean-Henrique Vives Scilia, <laughs> who is the prince of the tiny country of Andorra. And what got me interested about this is the prince of Andorra uh, will always... Why did I say a prince? I don't even know if he's a prince. He could be a king. Well, he's the monarch, but I don't know whether an official title is. But anyway, he's always co-monarch with the the president of France. Huh? Yeah. Emmanuel Macron, as of time of recording, the president of France, is also the co-monarch of the tiny country of Andorra. That, what? Exactly. What? Exactly. what? <laughs> France what? is the country that killed their king, right? <laughs> Why don't people talk about this? That's, that's weird on so many levels. Wow. It's like, we're going to like behead our king. Oh our God. president should be a king. What? The more I think about it, the weirder it gets. <laughs> that's super funny. There is uh, Prince Philip of Belgium. Who uh, is descended from a very, very dodgy monarch, you know, the one that like uh, owned the Congo and like did genocide there. Oh, yeah. Fun stuff. Jeez. Like, God, that, that could be an old podcast episode on its own. That was brutal, dark yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh, there, God, yeah. There is uh, Margaret II of Denmark. There mm-hmm. is Hans Adam II of the Teensy, tiny little country of Liechtenstein. Right. <laughs> it's not, it's like my favorite country in the world. It is, I actually met someone from Liechtenstein before and I went to, uh, I went to do some school with, to, went to school with one of them. There's like, like six people who live in the entire place. I know. I love it. I don't know anything about it. I just know that it's tiny. It has a name that's really satisfying to say. Uh, so. Another tiny place is there's Hon, I think it's Henri. It looks like Henry, but it could be Henri of Luxembourg. Another tiny little country, Albert II of Monaco. My mum's been to Monaco. It's, I think it's the one that's in Italy, the tiny microstate. Um, there's Willem Alexander of the Netherlands, who is uh, famously of the House of Orange, who, if you're from Northern Ireland like I am, is a very historically significant family. The House of Orange. Yeah, uh, the Von Oranjas in uh, in Dutch. There is that's that's sorry. That's such a, such a silly name. It sounds like it, it some is. kind of name from like a, a a fantasy book written from for children. The House of Orange. Wow. <laughs> there's a, there's like a cultic near sort of fraternal society about Protestantism called the Orange Order in in Northern Ireland and in Scotland and they're named after the House of Orange. The House of Orange I think originated in Nass- Nassau which is a 
place in Germany originally, I think anyway. Anyway, it's not to, to haunt that one too much. If I ever do a podcast about that, that particular part, interesting part of history, we will definitely visit it again because it is full of interesting stuff. There yeah. is. Are, are they sworn enemies, the House of Apples? <laughs> You've just offended a whole lot of loyalists in Northern Ireland. It's cute how you laughed at my really lame joke. I just know what I was laughing at the reaction I would see just when I pictured the people who like really love this guy, King <laughs> William of Orange, and they call him King Billy. I just see the storm gathering in their faces. Wow, it's that bad. Okay. Right, we need to do more kings. There's Harold V of Norway. Um, he reminds me of the famous Harold Bluetooth, of which the technology Bluetooth was named after. And he was one of the main reasons why Vikings invaded everywhere, because he united Norway and Denmark. And all of the, the tribal chiefs were like, we want to rule our own kingdom, so we're going to go elsewhere. And Harold was like, bye. Um, there's Philip the VI. What's that? Seven? Philip the Seventh? I hate mm. Roman numerals. VI seven, right? Isn't it, isn't it six? Oh, it's I couldn't bloody tell you. Uh Philip the Sixth, or see something, he's a number. Philip the Roman numerals <laughs> of Spain. They're the ones that uh, famously one of I can't remember which one it is, was a banker. Like they actually have jobs, the Spanish royal family. They're huh. not just like working monarchs where like the monarchy is their job, you know, they actually do other stuff. Um huh. Interestingly, what people don't know is they're the House of Bourbon. They're the ones that uh, were killed in France. Oh. Yeah, exactly. The Bourbons, the ones that had their heads cut off in France. That's another branch of their family. The Spanish royals are also connected in really, really, really closely with the absolutely infamous uh, Austrian Habsburgs. You, you just can't get a shallower gene pool if you tried. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. My, my favorite royal family is there. Right. <laughs> really good anti-propaganda for monarchy. Right, next one. Hopefully you can answer this one because it really confused me. Carl Sixteenth Gustav of Sweden. Yeah. My question is, why isn't he Carl Gustav the Sixteenth? I couldn't tell you. Carl sixteenth Gustav. Carl the sixth on the Gustav. Dude, your name's Carl Gustav. Put the number at the end. It's like, I'm sure there was more Gustavs than Carls. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, I to- that totally flabbergasted me. I thought I had actually made a mistake until I like double checked. That's actually how it was, and I was like, nope, that's his name. Right, moving on. Of course, you've got Queen Elizabeth II of England, Lizzie, or everyone's either favourite or most hated little granny. And I saved my favourite for the last. Sorry if uh, you heard a big bang there. I just hit my arm off the keyboard because I was really excited. Was <laughs> Pope Francis of the Vatican. Oh, he he's a monarch, I see. Absolutely. He is the monarch of Vatican City and previously before um, Mussolini confiscated a lot of the land around Rome and before the Kingdom of Italy was founded, he, the Pope was monarch of the Papal States and the Papal States were a kingdom and they went to war with other kingdoms. Oh, I mean... Like, the Borgias, for example, went to war as monarchs. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I, I guess it makes sense that the, that the Pope is a monarch, but 
I never considered it that way. Most people don't. That's why I thought it was interesting. Indeed, yeah. his official title is the the most pompous thing I have ever seen. The Pope is an interesting combination of king and religious king. His title is Rex Status Ecclesiae, meaning the king of the state of the church. He is literally king of the Vatican. The more you know. So next time you see this little old man wearing a stupid little hat, just think he could wear a crown too. Hmm, I mean, I guess that the hat could double as a crown. It looks kind of crownish. In modern countries, uh, so monarchs typically tend to be uh, ceremonial, but wield a lot of cultural influence. Like I mentioned earlier, one of the royal family can send letters to try and get laws put into form that he likes. But, uh, but more so, they affect the culture and the people. The things they do are followed by people. And because people admire them and want to be like them, they affect the way the citizens live and think. They're extremely powerful in that way. Well, what about Sweden? Do you think, uh, does your monarch have cultural sway as much as the British monarch absolutely does here? Oh, no, no, not, not at all. Uh, I mean, I, uh, I wouldn't say that the monarch has no cultural sway because he does, but... Uh, it's not very influential. Uh, I think that this is weird about Sweden. Most people regard the monarchy as kind of a funny joke. Like most people who want the monarchy to keep the monarchy, they want to keep it because they are amused by it. The, the way that I have, uh, that's how I, I have understood it from the people I talked to, like the, who support the royal family in Sweden. And I mean, yeah, the king is a fun guy to make memes out of because he's... He doesn't act like a king at all. I think he hates his life. He's so ridiculously insecure. It's almost cute. Like it's. <laughs> I think we would do him a favor if we uh, abandoned the monarchy. I really do. It's it's weird. It's very weird. You've uh, painted in my head a picture of a very pompous, sad puppy. Uh, not pompous at all. That's that's the thing, though. He's very much not pompous it's like you can tell that he's doing his best but he's not made for this and he knows it he i mean he seems to have real low self-esteem and he's famous for having dyslexia which i mean uh i guess that has some kind of positive effect because I suppose it humanizes him yeah no it humanizes him but it also normalizes dyslexia for people for people and children who struggle with it. Yeah, it makes it more uh, relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it does. It definitely does. Uh, no doubt. Especially in the British royal family will go to extreme lengths to cover up any illnesses. As I briefly mentioned that they uh, literally faked the deaths of relatives of theirs that had mental illness. Yeah, but like in Sweden, though, I'd say uh, people like to make fun of the king, um, but the one who holds... The cultural power is the crown princess, Victoria, his, his daughter, you know. Uh, she's the one who actually holds cultural power, and she does. She's very popular for whatever reason. People like her. I can't tell you why. I mean, she smiles and looks nice and happy, and, you know, she has that, you know, aura of uh, benevolent monarch. 
reminds me um, of uh, the philosophy tube video where he described people's love of the monarch as it's like the the country's waifu. She's like she's yeah. like Sweden's waifu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has like a very squeaky clean, mature, like serious woman kind of image. Um, I mean, from my perspective, I'm sure there has been some controversy about around her that I haven't heard of because I really don't care. But from all that I've heard, she's like, her public image is very clean. And on that note of controversy, we will segue into a lot of it. Now, I am sure even you, Christina, who avoids the news like the oncoming plague, will have somehow, probably from me, heard that recently the royal family has been in a pickle. At yeah, the, I mean, at the time I, heard that a, I heard that it's a thing going on and I have absolutely no clue what it is. Because, well, you're about to find out. Uh, yeah, I, I found the, the British obsession with the royal family so weird. It's super weird. Right. I mean, I shouldn't be the one to talk because I live in a country that still has monarchy, but it's, it's not the same. It's, I mean... I won't excuse it. I don't think the Sweden should have a monarchy. I think that's super unnecessary, but it's so minor compared to the British obsession with the Queen and the royal family. So here is what happened. The royal family has descended into controversy the last couple of weeks. It has calmed down somewhat at time of recording this, but it's still popping up. But like last week, I think it was the week, last week of the week before, it dominated the media it was peak media frenzy it was like they were all having a collective seizure and it was incredible to behold my uh my opinion of journalism just hit the lowest point that it has ever been in since the iraq the iraq war and it was bad so it was so it was centered around the royal family specifically prince harry and his wife Meghan markle Meghan markle is not a noble and she's American and she's descended partly from an ethnic minority. Both Harry and Meghan Markle left to live in America and stopped being so-called working royals. They stopped being part of the royal institution. So they went over and they did an interview with the Queen of Broadcasting, Oprah Winfrey, in which they described maltreatment and racism experienced at the hands of the royals and their staff. For example, she said that a staffer expressed concern about how dark-skinned their baby would potentially be. <laughs> Does this surprise anyone? I mean, of course the monarchs are racists. <laughs> yeah, you actually had this, uh, so, or there's one camp that was like, so the monarchy is racist. And I was like, yep. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... Britain is like the most like you have a long and dirty history of of imposing your will on other countries and the the, the monarchy uh, being like uh, we're not, we're, I don't live in that we are one of the places that had the will imposed on just we we're Northern Ireland yeah, yeah I, I know my sorry um but I mean it should come as a surprise to no one absolutely infuriated the royal lovers for example one of the most popular and controversial broadcasters oh, oh, because they are racist themselves i suppose yes but it's thomas Piers morgan you ever heard of him uh yeah he is effectively kind of like a british ben shapiro but like he's on mainstream tv you uh, and he he's known for blowing up and like going on obsessively psychotic rants he actually had props with the left for a couple of months because he was 
absolutely going crazy on the uh, government's COVID handling. So like for the first time ever, people were like, okay, I actually sort of agree with that. But whenever (laughs) the, the whole Meghan Markle thing came up, he was like, I stand with the royal family and I don't believe a word these two say. And they received so many complaints that he ended up like resigning. And everyone was like, was this staged? Was he just looking for a way to like dramatically resign? Now he'll go and start his own thing. You know, yeah, like, I, yeah. mean, I mean, of course he knows better. He's, he's not the one that has lived with the royal family. So of course he knows better than the people who actually... Uh, yeah. Word on the street was, though, that uh, he had some sort of encounter with Meghan Markle on one of, like, you know, the upper class, uh, you know, streak of, like, I don't know, days out, you know, whatever rich people do when they meet each other and go for parties. And, like, apparently yeah. she had no interest in him and, like, he took that to heart. Um, <laughs> so, like, it's like a long-held grudge. But the British establishment and a great amount of the British people, according to polling, side with the royal family and do not believe Meghan and Harry's version of the story. But... What interested me, because all of that I couldn't care less, yeah, but, but is... That, that's... Are you serious? Most people... Most people don't believe the obvious that the royal family are racist. Yes, they're, they side with the monarchy and they believe that, in the monarchy. That's an extreme level of delusion. That's almost impressive, really. We'll get back to it in a moment. For now, we have to take a break. We'll see you in a moment. Thanks for listening to the Freeze Peach podcast. Check in every Saturday for a brand new episode. If you like the podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really helps us in the rankings. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Click the bell icon to receive full notifications when new episodes are released and, of course, like the video. Please consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Due to not being based in the USA, our channel is unfortunately not eligible for advertising revenue on the Anchor Network. A small monthly donation will help us cover our costs. Just visit patreon.com slash thefreespeechpodcast. Your contribution is greatly appreciated. And remember to catch us on social media. We're on Twitter, at The Two Peaches. On Facebook, at facebook.com slash thefrozenpeaches. And on Instagram, at instagram.com slash thefreezepeachpodcast. And back to the show. All right, we're back for the episode one of the Free Speech Podcast. It's me here, Niall, and I'm with Christina. Before the break, we were talking about the British royal family's escapade uh, when uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry skipped town to America and did an interview with Oprah Winfrey in which they kind of did a tell-all on some of the royal family's dodgier antics. Now, what interested me about this was not all the various things that they revealed, and I only revealed one of them because, as I said, don't care. It's that it's what Meghan Markle called the firm. Now, this describes an institution that surrounds the British royal family. A series of official like ceremonies, jobs, traditions of which their entire life revolves around. Now, this is what truly makes them unlike any other family. There is no established protocol for you to go and talk to your dad. They do. And they've middlemen involved, various 
rituals they have to do that go back centuries. There is a whole uh, circus of strange things that, that go on here. And it's this firm which appears to be a so very conservative and sort of exclusive to, you know, what's traditional white British people that they would accept into it. It's sort of the relics of monarchy as a really powerful institution that still exists. And this firm is sort of what Meghan and Harry portrayed as this great evil presence. Well, what do you think about that idea? What do you think about living in a family surrounded by this near mystical institution? I'm I'm thinking that if you weren't already born crazy, you most <laughs> definitely will become crazy in that kind of environment. That was a sentiment that has been expressed by numerous people, that that sounds like a way to drive someone up the wall. Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't sound healthy and doesn't sound fun. It is like that 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 I I have no positive things to say about that. That sounds like a horrible way to live. As much as it sounds uh, weird, dodgy, unhealthy. And yeah, I mean, it also sounds terrifying. Not to get me wrong, it sounds it's terrifying that that. Uh, the way I want to describe it would not be accepted on YouTube. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's cult-like. It's just bonkers. Can you uh, give me some examples here? Um, no, I can't bring them to mind, honestly. I don't want to focus on it either. I'm uh, not really that interested in the specifics of it, but I've got an important point I want to make here about it produces, as much as things like racism are nasty, they're kind of commonplace. And, but this royal family produces some terribly sinister things. Prince Andrew has been shown to have had dealings with mass pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. And oh, yeah, is, yeah. He is wanted for questions by American authorities, but is not cooperating. He will not do interviews with the FBI. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw a YouTube video um, that was kind of like... Um, um, going through an interview he had on British television, I assume, where his purpose was to kind of like uh, clean his image and he only ended up looking so much more guilty than he ever could have. And he's, this a, video he's a was dodgy like, person. He's, yeah, he yeah. wouldn't believe a word he said just by looking yeah, at it. Yeah, yeah, and this video was like examining the things he said and the way he said it, like like what's the psychology behind why he said it this way. And it's really interesting. Mm. It's also like... <laughs> That man has, oh God, he has done some terrible things for sure. <laughs> so that, but that's what I wanted to point out this, this strange firm, because the way that the Meghan and Harry affair makes them sound nasty, backward and very conservative. I wanted to make the point that it produces monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the media is focused on this idea that they're kind of mean and backwards, but no, I want you to understand these people are not just conservative and bigoted. They're dangerous, sinister people. And I want you to remember that. Yeah, I mean, if you weren't, then you would resign from the monarchy. It should be a jail, <laughs> let's be honest. He should, he, the FBI want to question him for being involved in a massive pedophile ring, for God's sake. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It's absolutely bonkers. And it, it's scary how people don't talk about it more. It, it really is. It like, seriously, you should like go together as a country and just drag him to jail because that's 
absolutely insane. The royals are tied up in British culture and are often fiercely defended by the British people, the Conservative Party and the British press. The opponent to monarchy is republicanism and it is incredibly taboo in British life. Talking about overthrowing the monarchy is not something that happens. It's not something you can get away with. Even the previous now vanquished leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, who was a Republican, kept that really on the down low. Republicanism so, is taboo in Britain. I wonder when when British kids learn about the French Revolution. They don't. <laughs> they don't. Are you serious? I never learned about it anyway. Well, in school, I, I mean. <laughs> I mean, and dearly hope that they do because if I, they don't, I think most people learn learned about it during the movie Les Misérables. I mean, I, I was going to ask: Is it framed in a really negative light? But but that would be preferable to. If they don't. Well, anyway, I never learned about it during my schooling. I don't know whether that has changed since. Okay, okay. So you, 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 you can't answer the question I was meaning to ask. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't well. be surprised if it wasn't. <laughs> Put it that it's, way. Well. <laughs> yeah. So, but Republicanism isn't a thing that gets discussed in British life. It's it's a taboo. It's something that's agreed not to be said. It's kind of the, the, the conventional wisdom is if you're a politician and you talk about Republicanism, you're committing career suicide. Because, especially in England, the monarchy is England's identity. It's also the identity of cultures like in Northern Ireland, the loyalist cultures, um, where like the, the unionists have always talk about how they're the loyal subjects of the Queen. There is a big section of English and various other types of British society of which the monarch is central to who they are. Are. It's like part of their religion. Isn't it weird how some people are so proud over being Yes. <laughs> in fact, yes, yes. And it's when I first actually had a discussion with one of these unionists, it was from a, another town. And he was like, I would bow down to the queen and I would uh, subject myself to her as a loyal subject. And you know me, the last thing I do is be dumbstruck. But this was the first time I ever heard of it. I didn't respond. I was just like, Ooh. but I mean, especially since these kind of people usually have a, a funny relationship with masculinity and uh, tend to be like, "Ooh, I'm a tough guy." Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you know, the the type the type of people that the conservative type of person. So that's very strange that these people are so incredibly proud over you know licking the queen's. It's, uh, I mean. If One you value, never saw tough if you people. value manliness, that's not very manly, I'm just saying. You've never saw a tough guy wanting to be whipped quite so badly. Yeah, I can imagine. I no. mean, to be fair, the two go hand in hand. They are tough guys because they really want to be dominated by the queen, but I'm just... Right. let's talk about power. When the monarchs gained power, they originally did so by claiming that they were ruling on behalf of a deity or the spirit world or something. They had a religious justification, whether it's ancient Sumerian leaders who uh, wrote about how they were like chosen by the gods, or if it was medieval leaders who had the divine right of kings, they were in some way divinely inspired. Whenever that went out of fashion and people didn't buy that anymore, their power came to simply be tradition via inheritance. You were born to a royal and you got their power. 
As time had trickled on and royals started to vanish from places and more republics came to be, that inheritance moved over to the wealthy, to the non-royal but still upper classes. The rich people we are very familiar with, the ruling class, and they are still prone to intermarriage with each other and handing down their power via inheritance. I do not, as some people like to do, separate these two. I rather see one as a logical outgrowth of the other. Like the Donald Trumps, for example, or the Kennedys, they're all sort of modern day royals, secular royals, if you will. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I'm just thinking of, of my family history and how this all fits together and doesn't fit together. Because for our dear viewers, uh, I am I am a Transylvanian nobility. That's yes, such a sounds, thing actually exists, people. Yeah, yeah. It sounds cool when I, when I frame this Transylvanian nobility because it sounds like I'm a vampire and that makes me kind of like... Yeah, look, listen I to how... I you wish that was the case. Yeah, like, oh, isn't that mysterious and cool? Uh, well, no, not really. Um, and it's weird because my the only kind of power my, my family has is like the status of, of the family name. Uh, my family's poor. They have inheritance that is not money. They are poor. Do so you mean it's in lands and prestige, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, it's in lands and prestige, in and in, in you know dusty old houses. So it, it's uh, we don't have any actual power over people, but uh, lands and prestige, yes. Um, For background, um, we need to mention that uh, their power was lost during the uh, communist era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yes, and my family is still struggling to. Um, you know, get control back over over the land that they believe that they deserve, and uh, it's 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 weird. <laughs> That's all I can say about it. Really, it's very strange. In places like Britain, royals are used as nostalgia for the wealthy class. They often like to keep the royals in power because they remind them of the good old days. They are symbols which give them the warm fuzzies. They have a, a cultural role where they have of instilling obedience and a trust of authority in the people. That's um, one of the main reasons why royals are still maintained. They are of some use to the ruling class. They have a propaganda and a nostalgia purpose. They help control the people, but they also help the ruling class propagandize themselves. The the idea of, of uh, making an argument out of nostalgia... It gives me such a gut-disgusted reaction. <laughs> That's such an incredibly stupid thing. What about conservatism is pure nostalgia? I know, I know. In other words, conservatives are batshit insane. Yeah, I know. What else is new? Sure. But like, it's just... <sighs> I, 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 I truly do not understand past-directed people. I truly do wonder what the, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? The past doesn't matter. It is it is not anymore. What matters is the future. Can you please just think about that for maybe once? The past it, it wasn't better yesterday. It wasn't. And on that, we are going to go with the future. That was a heck of a slow burn, but we ought to get to the point we're looking to make. And 
that is the solution we have to royals, the rich, and all of that inherited power of whatever former description. And that guillotines. Guillotines, I'm assuming you meant. It kind of sounded like you said kill your teens. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's a way to get rid of your heir apparent, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I said guillotines, yeah. I've reached the British of 13. Have you, son? Shing! <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anywho, before uh, you uh, call the youth, we, uh, we should explain <laughs> what meritocracy is. Right, right, but... <laughs> Or, you know, we could just talk about it like everyone already knows what we're talking about and everyone will be extremely confused and it will be kind of funny for me personally. Um, right. <laughs> Keeping the guillotine in mind, uh, we would uh, effectively... Always, always keep the guillotine in mind. <laughs> on that analogy, we wish to uh, sever the wealth from the bodies of the wealthy. Put it that way. Meritocracy is predicated on those who are most qualified being in charge as opposed to those who inherited via money, power, royal titles, or whatever, their rule. So if you think about it, being born to a rich dude or being born to a royal is kind of arbitrary. You could be a real dumb and still end up in charge. You totally don't have that coming. You're just, your your great achievement was being that lucky sperm. And yeah. Let's weird to me because it is weird to me because it seems to me that people who are for royalty um, kind of make some kind of half-assed argument that that it is some kind of meritocracy, which it, which it clearly isn't. I mean, <laughs> just think about it for one second, then you realize that no merit has nothing to do with it. But, Precisely. In uh, fact, their rule is based upon three things. Nepotism, that being the unfair sharing of power among your family. Cronyism, the same thing but with your friends. And privilege, that just is the circumstances in which you find yourself having more or being further advanced than someone else by good fortune alone. So that's their fake meritocracy. In fact, they always come in with their goddamn language abuse and they steal phrases and words to, to, to repurpose for their own bloody businesses. Like, let's take the classic example, aristocracy. It's a common name for the royal folk, the, the blue-blooded, the high-minded, the... the and they're the ones that are meant to be like, it means rule by the best. Yeah, I know that. That's... Those inbred freaks are not the best. I know. When when I when I found this out that aristocracy in fact means rule by the best, I was like, what? Wait, wait, what? Are you sure about that? I actually, my reaction it's, it's was crazy. And and I mean that's I think that's an example of how you can manipulate opinion just by simply manipulating language and manipulating words. I call it language abuse. Mm. I don't know if that actually has a name or not, but that's what I'm calling it. It sounds cool. It's bloody language abuse. And they've done it with meritocracy as well, which means the same as aristocracy. It's just the same thing again. And the the, the fraudulent, inbred weirdos have no right to those terms. There are terms. Give them the hell back. Yeah. God, yes. Please. 
And so we're taking the term meritocracy back. We're going to beat them around the head of it because that talent can appear in anyone around the world at any time, no matter who they are, what the bloody look like. Yeah, and uh, for right wingers who come here and are like, yeah, well, which rich people are rich because they they deserve it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, oh, how how much deeper can you push the tongue into their? I hate. Oh, it's like, they just worked harder than everybody else. Oh, they really worked harder being that lovely little sperm that beat all the other sperms to reach the correct egg at the correct time. Oh, I am sure you worked very hard for that, didn't you? Yeah, and and, um, and then they are cherry picking the like one in a billion example that is one person who actually managed to somehow work their way up from nothing. And it's like, dude, <laughs> this, this one example is not a justification for a whole system that is inherently against merit all right and so in order to do that our meritocracy has to get rid of nepotism and cronyism and it has to get rid of the ability to discriminate against people for no good reason both positively and negatively. For example, just as we do not discriminate against someone because of their skin colour, we do not discriminate for someone because their parents were rich. That's just sick and disgusting. It is. It really is. And further to that, we must reward merit. We must make sure that talented people see the rewards for their talents. And the way the world is currently set up, geniuses are wasting away in slums who've never been taught to write. That's a kind of sick, disturbing world that we live in. Yeah, but you know, a uh, right winger would come and say, like, <laughs> they can't be a genius if, if they, they haven't been taught to write. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I'm just... Uh, <laughs> um, I want to meet this argument head on and say, you are stupid. You clearly cannot think for yourself. I have no energy to debate against you because you clearly cannot think for yourself. Have a good day, sir. Please don't ever talk to me ever again. Even worse is I can already hear the arguments from the left. The left are going to be coming in. Oh, you can't say someone is any better than anybody else because everybody is equal all of the time. Which is uh, crazy. You're born equal. But you have unequal outcomes. For example, it is incredibly obnoxious to think that, for example, I could claim myself as equally good at art as you are. Yeah, I I mean, when I envision meritocracy, I, I think about a society that... I mean, meritocracy wouldn't work if, if we hadn't have a system in place that helps every person to be the best they can be. If we are not helping each and every person to be the best they can be, then we cannot have a true meritocracy. Mm-hmm. So that argument automatically falls out the window because everyone everyone is deserves like the same education, the same, you know, the same chance to be the best. But... <laughs> some people are better than some things than others. That's just how it is. And it, that, that isn't belittling to anyone. It's just, it, it's a way to make things better. Mm-hmm. So we tell you this, uh, lefty keyboard warriors, we advocate equal opportunity. And that's you know done- what? 
that, this makes me think of, I just have to interject here because this made, this made me so frustrated when it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember once um, I was talking to, well, people, and um, I was saying that, oh, I believe that Everybody should be taught philosophy because, let's face it, it's a really practical skill to be taught. And that when when uh, <laughs> political debates and such, <laughs> they shouldn't be based on a, on something a pure rhetoric, part, but on actually like real rational argumentation. And then a person said, like, but but isn't that elitistic? Elitist? How do you say? How do you pronounce that? Elitist. Elitist, sorry. Isn't that elitist? And I was like, I I was kind of like flabbergasted because I, I was like, no, it isn't. Because I just said that I believe that everyone should be taught philosophy. If everyone is taught philosophy, how is that elitist? Please do tell me. In a meritocracy, we would make sure that uh, everyone had free education and a very holistic education, as well as focusing on one area. So they be taught generally, as well as being made expert in one area, right up to PhD level. Everyone would get that opportunity. We would want to make sure that everyone was masters at their own craft, and everyone was incredibly well, well informed. Yeah, yeah. and like even if you aren't the best for in in one specific area, if you can be the best that you can be then I don't think that there is a way to not be satisfied with that. You would, you would receive the rewards for the level you can contribute to society. Now, I can hear the uh, lefties up in arms again because they'll ask, well, what about if you're just the average person who's no particularly strong tablets? And I say, shut up a wee second, I'm going to tell you. Oh, oh no, wait. Uh, the people will say that it's ableist. Something like that, but more so if you're just... Uh, the average person, you know, like people who might not have any particular or might feel themselves just normal. They don't feel like they excel at any one area. And they would say, well, where can that person go? And we would say, well, you could couple this policy with a universal basic income, in which case the two bottom rungs of Maslow's hierarchy, your, your, you know, your basic needs and your housing and stuff like that are guaranteed by the state. Yeah. So there is nobody who is going to fall off the grid. So calm yourselves, you lefty yeah, hearts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> before anyone accuses me of fascism, I want to live in a world where everyone is happy. So let, let's just get that out of the way. And then for ableism, I want to say that if a person requires special assistance to get on the same level as another person, then of course, give them special assistance. I mean, <laughs> um, not everyone is able to do the same things as other people and that's that's a natural thing it's something that should be inherently built into the structure of meritocracy that's, that's, that's the concept like, of equity yeah 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 it's it's like yeah yeah of course if you struggle with a specific thing that most people don't struggle with then yeah you you definitely will get extra help needed to get yourself up to the level as everyone else i mean it's the if you imagine that's the the usual way to explain it is three boxes and a fence and everyone, three people of three different sizes. In order for them all to see over the top of the fence, everyone had a different size box. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And then and then people probably like, oh, but won't that really like diminish the value of um, people with intellectual disabilities? And then I will question 
in do you believe that the way we treat people with intellectual disabilities now or in any way better people who have intellectual disabilities and that like should be given the best life that they can that they can be given that's just simple as that absolutely the state should go absolutely out of its way to find out what they can do and so they can live the most fulfilled life possible because yeah, yeah. there is no i mean because the disabled for- people in the current world are abandoned and no one gives a crap about them and no one is going to go and find out what makes how they can live the most fulfilled life a meritocratic state that's part of their functioning yeah yeah so like yeah absolutely if you have a person who actually can't contribute to society um tough but that person still has the absolute right to be given the best life that they can be given because that's just that's just basic of course of course now to mention the crowning jewel of meritocracy the thing and uh, most important thing that will end the rule by the monarchs and the rich elite who are stopping us having a meritocracy. And that is the world's most hated policy ever because the world is so propagandized to hate it. The 100% inheritance tax. When you are dead, you don't own anything. You're too busy being dead. And no, 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 no. I don't want to hear it. And I especially don't want to hear it from the left. They say, well, what about the normal people? What are they going to do? You're going to take away the normal person's house? You're going to take away when they're trying to inherit the, the little their parents could give them? Blah, 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 blah. Well, no, because as I mentioned before, there will be something like a universal basic income. Everyone will have the same start in life by definition. I and mean, by, by definition, there won't be any such thing as normal people because everyone will be following that is true. That's true. Correct. And especially if you're on the left, I want to put it this way to you. The left is supposed to care about things like reparations for the history of racism, the poverty that the black people in America have inherited from the legacy of slavery, a 100% inheritance tax and an evening of the beginning of your race of life would fix that problem and other related problems. It's not just inherited wealth we'd be taking away. We would be remending inherited poverty. Yeah, of course. It just it goes hand in hand. It like we we have to even out the playing field for each and every person because if we don't, then it is not a meritocracy. If one person is left behind, that is not a meritocracy. Each and every person should have the ability to be the best they can be because that's how we get geniuses. That's how we advance the world forward. That's just for me. It's just like yeah, of course. That's the only good option we have. I hear Currently. more. I hear more arguments being whispered in my ear by our ghost lefty friends, and that is, well, what's stopping these uh, sort of people, even in their lifetimes, if they do really, really well, like gathering money they made, perhaps with their own talents, but then abusing it by bribing the government or corrupting the system? Mm. Well, we would counter that by saying there wouldn't just be a minimum sort of wage you get. There will be a proportionate maximum wage. The person who earns the most in society should not earn more than, let's say, 20 times more than the poorest person in society. Now I I hear the voice of the right say, but if a person has done well, they deserve their money. Shut up, right-wingers! Look, you stupid little person, you should look up how much, how much a billion dollar actually is. You should look it up because you have no bloody idea. At a certain amount of money, there is no 
there's no imaginable reason in the universe that a person, a single person should own that much money. There is none. If you claim otherwise, you are uneducated, you are stupid, and you are licking scum. <laughs> That's I just want, how it is. I want to reassure everyone, especially the left, I want to be very, very clear about this. Nobody should ever be rich enough to corrupt the state. Nobody. And on the other hand, I want people who do really well to be fabulously wealthy. I want them to live a life of luxury if they deserve it. But there's a difference between being personally wealthy and being wealthy enough that you can seriously affect the outcomes of other people's lives. If you earn a million pounds or dollars or whatever your currency is a year, that's not enough to really affect the government, but that is enough for you to live a life of luxury. I think I mean, you should have that, but I don't think you should have power to screw with everybody else. I would also like to interject that ideally for me, a life of luxury wouldn't be a life of, you know, pretty things and pretty stuff and material luxury, but a fulfilled life. Um, <laughs> On a future I, episode, we are going to be talking about uh, social capitalism or market socialism. And we yeah, can yeah. discuss things like that more in depth. Anyway, uh, I'm just seeing another argument here. And that argument is if people... Um, have no incentive to to you know uh, earn money to give to their children. They have no incentive to earn money, and for these people, I was really, really. Are you sure about that? Are you really sure about that? Can you take a moment and actually question that that thinking? Because I don't ever want to have children, and I still want to have a fulfilled life. How about that? Meritocracy is the ideal synthesis between fairness and aspiration. That which brings people together as true and legitimate equals and allows for those people to live their dreams and enjoy a life of relative luxury directly proportioned to those dreams. It should be emphasised that our system is that which will advance you, improve you, and invigorate you. This is a system that everyone should get behind, one that will be comfortable on the voices and tongues of anyone who cares to learn about it. This is what I truly think about meritocracy. This is the true synthesis of capitalism and communism. This is the way forward, the new idea of which the world must turn to if it is going to solve its myriad of ever-worsening problems. And I, I, I would also like to add that if, if you have a thought that, uh, a worry about meritocracy, if, if you have this little nagging voice that says, what about this? How will you solve this? I'm worried about this. Meritocracy is a system that would allow you to voice that worry and, you know, put it to rest. We want to advance society. We don't want to leave loopholes in rules and regulations we want something that is the, the good for everyone just quite simply that and uh, <laughs> you know just for now we'll leave it with them to stew i mean yeah i mean just i'm, I'm just saying that what meritocracy does 
uh, that's not just like oh this is this is one system that we truly believe in uh, but another thing about the system it is as a system that allows for change of that system when it is suitable because the same systems don't work forever that's just the nature of the universe and we should have a system that has that an inbuilt you know the tendency to evolution to better itself it has a it has an inbuilt method of self-improvement yeah yeah Precisely so. Thank you so much for spending your time listening to us in reward. Um, if you'll stick with us for another while, we will do our favorite segment, that is reacting to random stuff we find on the internet. Please stick with us for that. It's a horrifying and terrible place, and it's full of horrifying and terrible people. And uh, we've, we've collected a, a few uh, things that uh, we'd like to respond to because they are uh, despicable. Now, a TikTok personality called Kyle Royce came out as super straight. Meaning strictly only being attracted to members of the opposite sex born as that same sex. It has been taken up by Nazis due to the acronym SS, which uh, has a uh, Nazi Germany reflections in it. Christina, will you be coming out as super straight anytime soon? Well, what an effective way to limit yourself to a box totally unnecessarily. <laughs> What struck me was, what a banal expression of malevolent hatred on TikTok. Yeah. Like, that's the place where we go to find the absolute sewers of our species, is TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I, I, I can't answer it, I don't have TikTok. (laughs) But yeah. The Free Speech Podcast now has TikTok. Join us, and I assure you, we shall not be coming out of Super Street. <laughs> nah, no, for sure not. I might be coming out of Super Gay, but, you know. To me, is this guy that's, like, secretly just really, really scared of traps? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Does he, like, go to bed at night and he's like, I see you later, and then he's like, she's got a wiener, and, like, starts crying. Yeah, I mean, look, the the only conceivable reason for a person to be super afraid of traps is if they find that attractive, and if you do find that attractive, seriously, no shame, live your life, enjoy it for goodness sake. What's your issue? It's really interesting because it has gone somewhat out of fashion for right-wingers to take swings at uh, um, gay people and LGBT people anymore. It's that, that ship has sealed. And I think even, you know, even the most bitter right-wingers have just stopped trying. So they've like switched to the trans community because they see that as still as gettable, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking about, there was this, what's his name, the the guy with an extremely punchable face that's not, not at all relevant anymore, that uh, uh, the gay conservative. Dave Rubin. 
No. Oh, no, no. so close. No, no, no. Milo Yiannopoulos. Milo Yiannopoulos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. And uh, I think that I, I was thinking about was that uh, I saw one uh, yeah, right winger be like, oh, I find him so uh, like... Like, oh, I don't personally agree with the gay agenda, but I found him really amusing. But I can see how he confuses liberals because they are like, oh, it's a gay person. I have to ultimately like him, but then they don't agree with his ideology. And I'm like, uh, ladies okay, and gentlemen, I- Christina is psychic because my next item here is Milo Yiannopoulos comes, <laughs> comes out as straight in an attempt to get more media attention on himself. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean... That was my second item. That's, I don't, that doesn't really surprise me. It's, it's so obviously a person who just wants uh, attention. Our friend and not the, only having a really stupid knee. Yeah, I, I just but, want to reiterate for right-wingers who are stupid and can't think for themselves, being for uh, gay rights, which is like so basic, uh, does not mean... That I don't think that Milo Yiannopoulos is a goddamn idiot, okay? That one does not negate the other. Uh, that, 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 that weird illusion there, no, that's not true. That's... I don't think he's an idiot. I think he's like a, he's a grifter. Yeah, I mean, he's, like, he's... he's aware he's a fraud. He knows he is a fraud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying that I don't think that he's now former gayness made it more difficult for anyone to hate him i really do not think that that's what's an issue because it's it's not like oh i want to coddle every gay person in the earth no but that the idea was that this is just a basic human right it shouldn't be an issue it doesn't mean that every gay person on the planet is automatically considered as a wonderful human being. I don't know that that that's how that's that's a, that's a funny way to reflect back the conservative opinion that every I don't know black person is automatically a bad person. That's just uh, no, it does not work like that. The way it was presented was it was like Yiannopoulos somehow discovers the elusive mystical switch that when you switch it, you switch the gay away. All of a sudden, penis does not intrigue you like it once was. The the curviness of the male abdominal section no longer gets your member staring at the ceiling. Perhaps uh, Milo has uncovered the switchboard in the back of our heads, which can turn on whether or not we like ding-dongs. But... Uh, <laughs> A Twitter user, an anonymous. But I mean, I'm, I'm going to uh, like. Uh, I, I have to look this up because wasn't he's like, uh, if I remember correctly, he framed his his whole gayness as as being due to misogyny. Like he hated women so much that he became gay. You also have to remember this guy uh, lost his uh, job and his uh, his space in the fame because he seemed to come out in support of paedophilia. Wow, <laughs> I haven't thought about this guy for so long, and I'm, I'm I regret it so deeply. That but that's <laughs> why he did this. He did it to get attention back on himself because his career was ruined because he was a moron. Yeah, I I I truly I I don't want to think about him ever again. I'm I'm, I'm now deleting him off my mind. Okay, good. Yeah, Let's okay. not talk about him. Moving on, an anonymous Twitter user called. Uh, <laughs> start that again. A Twitter user. Stop doing fascism, tweeted. Being on the left is just constantly getting gaslighted as you try to point out obvious solutions to problems while everybody around you insists that those solutions are simply too good to be true and we should stick to the terrible we know 
until some undefined point in the future. Thoughts? Uh, I'm thinking, how on earth is sticking with what we have a left wing ideology? Isn't the left all about, you know, changing what we have? No, it's because said, no- it- no, it meant that being on the left was mean you're being gaslighted by people who are telling you that obvious solutions can never happen. Oh, 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 yeah, oh yeah. sorry. I, I misunderstood. Yeah, the uh, left I, is on the re- the receiving end of the gaslighting, you see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I, I thought this was... Uh, Your psychic mm. powers are dwindling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah they, they have to become bad to even it out, you know. Um... um <laughs> I could, uh, my issue is this. I agree with the sentiment, of course. Right wingers are absolute morons who literally will rather kill us all via climate change than change themselves or anything about the system they made. I mean, that's pretty stupid. No matter how much money you have, you still go and die. And, you know, you need to be a certain level of stupid to believe in something like that. Yeah. But- yeah. Look, I have so much trouble uh, understanding people who question things with either like, oh, but that's a, a utopia vision or people who question like, yeah, but what's a better alternative? For the first one, I say, if we don't strive for something better, then why are you even alive? Seriously, I don't mean to be triggering, but that, that is a genuine question. I really do wonder, what do you live for? If you do not strive to make things that better, then what is your life about? I have a question for the... No, 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 no. And number two, and number two for the people who question, but what's our, our other option? And then, then you say another option. But but even if... Look, if you think that we have no other option, you suffer from a severe lack of creativity. I, I would take care of that first before you start asking stupid questions. I agree. But I would dispute the left on this. That the left too is guilty of this. The left will, is very unwilling to move on a lot of its sacred cows for things that are patently required. For example, the left will fiercely defend religious beliefs that are incredibly dangerous. They will not take the obvious solutions to people doing insane things like blowing themselves up, doing mass shootings in churches, things like that. Because yeah, I know. And this is, I see this as a, as a, kind of typical reactionary move because they, they see a group of people that, that is unfairly uh, under attack by right-wingers for no good reason and, and they have like this immediate reaction to protected people, which is something that I, I can understand and sympathize with, uh, but but there needs to be... Uh, <laughs> just, they need to look at you know, it rationally. What, what did you say? They need to look at it rationally and not emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There needs to be a nuance. There needs to be, uh, it's not black and white. The 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 enemy of my enemy is not necessarily my friend. Uh, Quite so. And, and uh, it's just, um, and, and I personally also want to read it because this is very important to me that people do not misunderstand. I am not against religious people on a personal level. The, the, the people who are religious usually are born into their religion. Uh, they usually haven't really been given much of a choice. And there are a few that have that are actually chosen their religion. Good for them. I don't understand it. Um, but I am most definitely against religion as a system, as a system that kind of <laughs> requires children uh, who are born in it to be a part of it. And uh, just, 
I hate religion. I do not hate religious people. I do not hate people, but I do hate religion as a concept. The, do not uh, mix those two up. That th- those two are not the same thing. Most religious right-wingers, people are... Right-wingers hate religious people who do not have the, se- the same religion as, as they do. They hate the person. We do not hate the person. We hate the system. We hate the, we hate the ideology. We see it as it is deeply problematic and it will do the world so much good to get rid of it completely. Most uh, uh, religious people are the victims of brainwashing and psychological manipulation, but yeah. it is absolutely not the, you have no right to brainwash anyone else. Absolutely yeah, yeah. And, and the people are like, oh, but what about freedom to religion? And to that I say, what about freedom from religion? There is simply, there is no inherent right for you to spread nonsense. It's, it's not like, for example, I go into a school and start teaching random kids that uh, Thor is what creates lightning. I don't think I would last in that job for very long. Yeah. And, so, and, so. and if, if you have chosen to be religious as an adult, uh, it's weird, it's stupid, but all right, at least you have made a conscious decision. Um, but the vast majority of religious people are simply religious because their parents were. Let's move on to our final item of this week's show. It has become standard operating procedure for British politicians to put the Union flag, often known as the Union Jack, or to you foreigners, there's the flag of the UK, in the backgrounds of anywhere they are doing Zoom interviews, even if they look patently ridiculous. For example, just a few days ago, one of them put this absurdly gigantic flag beside his sofa and it was upside down and he (laughs) clearly just put it there for the interview. It is not like considered standard operating procedure for all these politicians to look more patriotic by doing flags in the least flaggy places that you can imagine. Christina, in your mind, is this this a good reflection of a British patriot to you? (laughs) I... I I do not know much about British patriotism, uh, apart from uh, the fact that I find it very strange. Um, it's a bit of a fraudulent, like, it's... It, when you look at it, I mean, you're thinking, you're trying too hard, so... I mean, when I think about British... Pit, 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 that word? Patriotism. I f- yeah, I think of colonialism. It's very hard for me not to think about colonialism. And uh, Britain has a very, very intimate history with colonialism. It's it's basically an expression of the Conservative Party and the Labour Party trying to imitate the Conservative Party. Keir Starmer, their leader, has recently put a policy of uh, appearing in front of the flag too in order to ape the stupid Tories. And the problem is, it looks so astoundingly fake. It looks like a cheap way to pretend that you're patriotic without actually doing anything. And it's like so monstrously dumb in the way that it's done. It has the precise opposite effect where you just look ingenuine and sort of like, come on, man. Yeah, it's Work harder. Like. <laughs> and yeah. it's a, and especially if you're a, where I live in Northern Ireland, the actual symbol of the Union Jack is considered by half the community as a symbol of effectively a threatening gang sign. Yeah. Or the other side is threatening you. You know, it's it's like to some people it's incredibly intimidating. And so it's it it's incredible. It's a damaging and stupid. 
And it doesn't make anyone look patriotic. It just makes everyone dive into more stupid culture war where they can be even stupider than they were the day before. It's it's really quite astounding how how uh, the right wing just keeps developing more ways to be stupid and just dig themselves deeper and deeper and deeper into the stupidity and be proud. They are they are proud of it. The stupider they are, the more proud they are of it. Maybe that's the innovation they keep talking that their capitalism will bring about. You know, they always talk about innovation and evolution that the capitalism brings. It's like a new ways of literally making an argument for why you should spend the rest of your life in a mental hospital. Yeah. I mean, for people who say that capitalism automatically produces quality, what world do you live in? Seriously, what world do you live in? It doesn't produce quality people, that's for sure. I mean, the bloody guy couldn't even put the flag on the wrong way, the right way up. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, uh, capitalism, inherent system, capitalism, it produces a lot of trash. If you are of the idea that the capitalism produces quality, then you will live in fantasy land. My dear, you have to open your eyes seriously. That's a fact. That's a that's a joke. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a pretty dream, but it's not true. I can assure you that there is no Union Jack in my background. There are, in fact, two paintings done by my friend Christina herself, and they are uh, much more patriotic than the Union flag could ever be. Thank you so much for watching. I'm Niall and this is Christina and this has been the Free Speech Podcast. See you again next Saturday.